short account of the life of George Whitfield, written by himself, chapter 4, his entering into the ministerial office. From the time I first entered at the university, especially from the time I knew what was true and undefiled Christianity, I entertained high thoughts of the importance of the ministerial office, and was not solicitous what play should be prepared for me, but how I should be prepared for a place. The saying of the apostle, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And that first question of our excellent ordination office, do you trust that you were inwardly moved by the Holy Ghost to take upon you this office and administration, used even to make me tremble whenever I thought of entering into the ministry, the shyness that Moses and some other prophets expressed, when God sent them out in a public capacity, I thought was sufficient to teach me not to run till I was called. He who knows the hearts of men is witness that I never prayed more earnestly against anything than I did against entering into the service of the church so soon. Oftentimes I've been in an agony in prayer when under convictions of my insufficiency for so great a work. With strong cryings and tears, I have often said, Lord, I'm a youth of uncircumcised lips. Lord, send me not into the vineyard yet. And sometimes I had reason to think God was angry with me for resisting his will. However, I was resolved to pray thus as long as I could. If God did not grant my request in keeping me out of it, I knew his grace would be sufficient to support and strengthen me whenever he sent me into the ministry. To my prayers, I added my endeavors and wrote letters to my friends at Oxford, beseeching them to pray God to disappoint the designs of my country friends, who were for my taking orders as soon as possible. Their answer was, Pray we the Lord of the harvest to send thee and many more laborers into his harvest. Another old and worthy minister of Christ, when I wrote to him about the meaning of the word novice, answered, it meant a novice in grace and not in years. And he was pleased to add, if Paul were then at Gloucester, he believed Paul would ordain me. All this did not satisfy me. I still continued instant in prayer against going into the holy orders and was not thoroughly convinced it was the divine will till God by his providence brought me acquainted with the present bishop of Gloucester. Before I converse with his lordship, God was pleased to give me previous notice of it. Longer, I had the least prospect of being called before the bishop. I dreamed one night I was talking with him in his palace, and that he gave me some gold which seemed to sound again in my hand. Afterwards, this dream would often come into my mind, and whenever I saw the bishop at church, a strong persuasion would arise in my mind that I should very shortly go to him. I always checked it and prayed to God to preserve me from ever desiring that honor which comes with man. One afternoon it happened that the bishop took a solitary walk, as I was told afterwards, to Lady Selwyn's near Gloucester, who not long before had made me a present of a piece of gold. She, I found, recommended me to the bishop, and a few days after, as I was coming from the cathedral prayers, thinking of no such thing, one of the vergers called after me and said the bishop desired to speak with me. I, forgetful at that time of my dream, immediately turned back. 
considering within myself what I had done to deserve his lordship's displeasure. When I came to the top of the palace stairs, the bishop took me by the hand, told me he was glad to see me, and bid me to wait a little till he had put off his habit, and he would return to me again. This gave me an opportunity of praying to God for his assistance and adoring him for his providence over me. At his coming again into the room, the bishop told me he had heard of my character, liked my behavior at church, and inquired my age. Notwithstanding, he said, I've declared I would not ordain anyone under twenty-three. Yet, I shall think it my duty to ordain you whenever you come for holy orders. He then made me a present of five guineas to buy me a book, which, sounding again in my hand, put me in mind of my dream, whereupon my heart was filled with the sense of God's love. Before I came home, this news of the bishop sending for me had reached my friends, who, being fond of my having such a great man's favor, were very solicitous to know the event of my visit. Many things I hid from them, but when they pressed me hard, I was obliged to tell them how the bishop of his own accord had offered to give me holy orders whenever I would, on which they, knowing how I had depended on the declaration of his lordship, had made some time ago labors. In the meanwhile, having before made some observations upon the 39 articles and proved them by scripture, I strictly examined myself by the qualifications required for a minister in St. Paul's epistle to Timothy, and also by every question that I knew was to be publicly put to me at the time of my ordination. This latter I drew out in writing at large and sealed my approbation of it every Sunday at the Blessed Sacrament. At length, Trinity Sunday, being near at hand, and having my testimonials from the college, I went a fortnight beforehand to Gloucester, intending to compose some sermons and to give myself more particularly to prayer. But God's thoughts are not as our thoughts. When I came to Gloucester, notwithstanding, I strove and prayed for several days and had manner enough in my heart. Yet I was so restrained that I could not compose anything at all. I mentioned my case to one clergyman. He said I was an enthusiast. I wrote to another who was experienced in the divine life. He gave me some reasons why God might deal with me in that manner, and with it promised me his prayers. I joined with him in importunate supplication to know whether this restraint was of God or not. At last, in reading Matthew Henry upon the Acts of the Apostles, this passage was much pressed upon my heart. We essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered us not. Looking a little further, I found a quotation out of Ezekiel, wherein God said to that young prophet, just after he had given him a divine and public commission, You shall be dumb, but when I speak unto you, then you shall speak. This made me quite easy. The remainder of the fortnight I spent in reading the several missions of the prophets and apostles and wrestled with God to give me grace to follow their good examples. About three days before the time appointed for ordination, the bishop came to town. The next evening, I sent his lordship an abstract of my private examination upon these two questions. Do you trust that you were inwardly moved by the Holy Ghost? to take upon you this office and administration. 
And are you called according to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ and the laws of this realm? The next morning I waited on the bishop. He received me with much love, telling me he was glad I was come, that he was satisfied with the preparation I had made and with the allowance given me by Sir John Phillips. I had myself, said he, made provision for you of two little parishes, but since you choose to be at Oxford, I am very well pleased. I doubt not, but you will do much good. Upon this I took my leave, abashed with God's goodness to such a wretch, but with it exceedingly rejoiced, and in every circumstance I made my way into the ministry so very plain before my face. This, I think, was on Friday. The day following I continued in abstinence and prayer. Evening I retired to a hill near the town and prayed fervently for about two hours on behalf of myself and those who were to be ordained with me. On Sunday morning I rose early and prayed over Paul's epistle to Timothy, and more particularly over that precept, let no one despise your youth. When I went up to the altar, I could think of nothing but Samuel standing, a little child before the Lord, with a linen ephod. When the bishop laid his hands upon my head, my heart was melted down and I offered up my whole spirit, soul, and body to the service of God's sanctuary. I read the gospel at the bishop's command with power, and afterwards sealed the good confession I had made before many witnesses by partaking of the holy sacrament of our Lord's most blessed body and blood. Being restrained from writing, as was before observed, I could not preach in the afternoon, though much solicited thereto, but I read prayers to the poor prisoners, being willing to let the first act of my ministerial office be an act of charity. The next morning, wait upon God in prayer to know what he would have me to do. These words, speak out, Paul, came with great power to my soul. Immediately, my heart was enlarged. God spake to me by his spirit, and I was no longer dumb. I finished a sermon I had in hand some time before and began another and preached the Sunday following to a very crowded audience with as much freedom as though I had been a preacher for some years. Oh, the unspeakable benefit of reading to the poor and exercising our talents while students at the university. Such previous acts are very proper to prepare us for the work of our Lord and make us not unapt to teach in a more public manner. It is remarkable that our Lord sent out his disciples on short missions before they were so solemnly authorized at the day of Pentecost. Would the heads and tutors of our universities but follow his example, and instead of discouraging their pupils from doing anything of this nature, send them to visit the sick and the prisoners, and to pray with and read practical books of religion to the poor, they would find such exercises of more service to them, and to the church of God than all their private and public lectures put together. Thus God dealt with my soul. At the same time, by his gracious providence, he supplied me with all things needful for my body also, for he inclined the bishop's heart to give me five guineas more, and by this time a quarter's allowance was due to me from Sir John Phillips, both which sums put together fully served to defray the expenses of my ordination and take my bachelor's degree, which was conferred on me at Oxford, a week after my being ordained, 
when I was about 1 and 20 years of age. These changes from a servitor to a bachelor of arts, from a common drawer to a clergyman, were no doubt temptations to think more highly of myself than I ought to think, and some were therefore jealous of me, as I trust they always will be, with a godly jealousy. God, who is rich in mercy, by this forewarned me of my danger, stirred up my heart to pray against spiritual pride, and kept me, as I hope he will, to the end, in some measure, always humbled me before him. Thus did God, by a variety of unforeseen acts of providence and grace, train me up for, and at length introduce me into the service of his church. What has happened to me since that time, especially for these two last years, is so well known as to need no repetition. However, as I find freedom in myself, and leisure from a ministerial employ, I shall hereafter relate God's further dealings with my soul, and how he led me into my present way of acting. In the meanwhile, my dear listener, whoever you are, I pray God, what I have now written may not prove a savor of death and a death, but a savor of life and a life unto your soul. Many, I fear, through ignorance, prejudice, and unbelief, when they read this, will contradict and blaspheme. Be not thou of this number, but if you are yet uninfected with the contagion of the world, I pray God to keep you so. For believe me, innocence is better than repentance, and though sin may afford you some brutish present pleasure, yet the remembrance of it afterwards is exceedingly bitter. If you are immersed in sin as I was, take no encouragement for me to continue in it on the one hand, nor despair of mercy on the other. Let God's goodness to me lead you also to repentance. The same Lord is rich to all who call upon him through faith in Christ Jesus. If through divine grace I have done anything praiseworthy, not unto me, but unto God give all the glory. If you are awakened to a sense of the divine life and are hungering and thirsting after that righteousness, which is by faith only in Jesus Christ, and the indwelling of his blessed spirit in your heart, think it not absolutely necessary to pass through all the temptations that have beset you round about on every side. It is in the spiritual as in the natural life. Some feel more, others less. But all experience some pangs and travails of soul ere the man Christ Jesus is formed within them, and brought forth and arrived to the measure of his fullness who fills all in all. If God deals with you in a more gentle way, yet so that a thorough work of conversion is effected on your heart, you ought to be exceedingly thankful. Or if he should lead you through a longer wilderness that I have passed through, thou needest not complain. The more you are humble now, the more you shall be exalted hereafter. One taste of Christ's love in the heart will make amends for all. And if you have felt the powers of the world to come and been made a partaker of the Holy Ghost, I know you will rejoice and give thanks for what God has done for my soul. To conclude, may all who peruse these few sheets be as much affected alternately with grief and joy in reading as I have been in writing them. They will then have the desired effect, and cause many thanksgiving to be offered in my behalf to that God who has called me out of darkness into the marvelous light. And you, a reader, whoever you are, may experience the like and greater blessings 
is the hearty prayer of your soul's friend and servant, George Whitfield.